That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. For all the saints who from their labors rest. Jake, oh, you. I knew you were going to sing this song. I knew you were going to open it up. So, um... Do, is, now, do you sing that out of tune in uh, on like regular Sundays? Yep, on purpose. I chant horribly whenever we do the Sursum Corda. <laughs> yeah, I just try to make everybody uncomfortable and sweaty. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, it's powerful. So today is, uh, the, the, the episode we are recording for today is All Saints Day. And uh, All Saints Day is a wonderful a feast day in the, the the life of the church. It's so important that it has its own proper preface. If you're an Episcopalian and you know what we're talking about, and um, if you don't, if you bad. don't know, we've already said too much. We can't. It's just <laughs> just be so, glad you even heard the words. But uh, All Saints is a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful feast day that goes back. It's one of the earliest feasts of the year historically. This is when the church does baptisms as well. And uh, really, it finds its roots in the um, in the early days of the church, right after the Neroshan uh, persecutions, when there had been, prior to that, local churches would commemorate like individuals who had been martyred for the church. But during the Neroshan uh, uh, persecutions, there were so many people who had lost their lives that they decided to begin to commemorate everybody all at once. And so, and they made, and th- basically came up with All Saints Day. Yeah, and, and Naroche was an intergalactic space warrior that arrived in the Mediterranean world and slaughtered... No, this is... <laughs> I got a little crack of a smile from Jake. Uh, Emperor Nero, for those of you who are not so up and up on your Roman history in the and early Christian I world... I stand corrected. It wasn't Nero. It was... Was it Diocletian? It was Diocletian. Well, maybe that's where you were getting the shun. You were like, yeah. you mixed up Diocletian and Nero. Yeah, Diocletian. Yeah. He, he always sounds like some sort of cleaning detergent. So, but uh, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, did you use Diocletian in the kitchen today? So That's right. In the sink. So. Well, yeah. So, All Saints, it's a, yeah, it's a day where we remember the departed. And it always comes on November 1st, which is almost never a Sunday. So, the church has felt it's so important. The church, capital C, has always said... Whenever it falls in the middle of the week, just make sure you do it on the next Sunday. And so, Sunday, November 7th this year, for many of our listeners, will be All Saints Sunday observed. Um, Sort of the feast gets moved. It's a movable feast. If you don't, um, if you're not celebrating All Saints this Sunday, November 7th, but you're sticking with the regular lectionary readings, uh, good luck. Anyways, Mm. uh, moving on. No, we'll, maybe we'll throw you a bone. We'll see how we feel at the end of the podcast. But uh, the readings for today, you get two options for the Old Testament or the first reading. One is Wisdom of Solomon. Don't do it. It's from the Apocrypha, not Holy Scripture, not inspired. Amen. That's never been the Anglican understanding. And uh, yeah, and if you were to read to the all Book of Wisdom of Solomon. preaching from the Apocrypha, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> 
And if you read the reading, you'll see kind of why. It's very, it's very like goofus and gallant sort of. Anyways, but if you want to stick with the scriptures, you'll go with Isaiah 25. And then the New Testament reading is Revelation 21. And then John 11, 32-34. And if you read these readings, you will recognize them as readings that are often read in funerals. Because they deal with the reality of death, but also the hope of the resurrection. And I will say... Even if you're not the kind of church that tends to look at things like All Saints Sunday, it would, I think, minister profoundly to yourself and your congregation to at some point have some observance and scripture and preaching and liturgical uh, offering to commemorate the grief that everybody has gone through and is going through in relation to the massive resetting of everything that we thought life was because of the pandemic, and I'm not overstating it. It sounds a little melodramatic to say it, but Jake, I know you and I have been completely T-boned over the last 19 months of doing ministry in this pandemic. Every other clergy person has felt the same way. Jobs have been upended. Churches have closed. People have moved. Uh, Marriages have fallen apart or been strengthened. You know, like just everything has been reset. We just did our newcomers class and like 70, 80% of the people, about 30 people taking this class all Dang. said, yeah, no, I mean, but they all said some version of like, we were at this church and the pandemic happened and our lives kind of crumbled and we suddenly found ourselves in a period of discernment, just where do we need to be in every aspect of our lives. And one of that one of those aspects was church, and somehow they found their way here. But that's happening in every industry. That's happening in jobs. People are moving. So anyways, all that to say is massive transition, the anxiety that comes with that, the grief that comes with that. Like, people are tired. People are depressed. People are confused. They don't know what they're supposed to be feeling. So all that to say, and everybody's been touched somehow by COVID. And so, so All Saints, I think, this year has a particularly powerful kind of emotional resonance. And it's really good to as Christians, come back to these readings and know God is in control and the resurrection is real. Amen. It's really good. And so, you come to that very scene uh, in our opening reading today from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. You know, the, um, the prophet looks forward and he sees this mountain uh, where indeed, and what's interesting too, it's important to note that all of these readings actually are funeral readings. These are the these are uh, some of the offerings for our burial liturgy. And so, but yep. we have the mountain of the Lord, and um, it is a place of hope. And how do we know it's a place of hope? Because it's a place with, uh, well, great food and great wine. And uh, in, a, in a period where uh, exile is on the horizon, uh, that's good news. Um, then it's also a place where... Um, uh, uh, death is ultimately swallowed up. You know, death is the big question everybody has on their mind. It's not what's their purpose. It's uh, uh, what happens to me when I die. And uh, we have an answer for that profound question. And that is um, that uh, death will be finally swallowed up. And uh, there's coming a time uh, when um, uh, God's going to wipe away every tear. This is what the prophet says. And uh, the Lord for whom we've waited you know, waited in the midst of a pandemic, waited in exile, um, he's going to come and on that mountain, the mountain of Zion, is going to make us glad and rejoice in his salvation. Yeah, and this is just a beautiful passage too, the fact that it acknowledges that death is like this shroud mm. that is cast over all people, it says, everybody. And um, I think one of the things about life 
pre-pandemic is that there were more people under the illusion that death wasn't really... I don't know. You could live in more denial, I think, of it. And mm. everything just feels a lot more tenuous now. So there's there's something, I think, powerful in the scripture that it sees us and it names exactly what we're going through and presents as the antidote, as you said, a feast, which absolutely looks towards, you know, the the Eucharistic meal with Jesus. But it's also obviously a party uh, and in a time where we feel isolated. And that is what death is. It's isolating. Uh, grief is isolating. Um, if you've ever been grieving, deeply grieving, you feel often very alone because you feel like nobody else is going through what you're going through. And here, the, the, the antidote is seen as this party, a feast of mm. rich food and well-aged wines. And I mean, this is, a, this is a party. Think about, you know, a wedding reception where there's no family tension and everybody's actually having a really good time. Or think about Catholic heaven, like in The Simpsons, there's like Protestant heaven where it's very subdued and people are just playing croquet all day and wearing V-neck sweaters. And then Catholic heaven, where all the Hispanic and Irish people are, it's like this huge party. And Jesus is actually over there because it's a lot more fun, which is very much on brand for Jesus. So, um, anyways, I think the point is here is there's this there's this passage names the pain and it also names the party. It names that we have waited, as it says in the end of it here, like this is the Lord for whom we have waited. It names this waiting season, this kind of twice, it says we have waited for him. And I think that's acknowledging reality as well for a lot of people, the, the waiting. And if you, if anybody in your congregation has a loved one who's died recently, there's a sense of being separated from them and waiting to be reunited again, which in the Christian hope, we do have that hope in the hope of the resurrection of being reunited. So anyways, it's an eminently preachable, beautiful passage, and it's so clear why it's, why it's for All Saints Sunday. So we move on to Revelation 21. Verses 1 through 6a, this is John, the author of the book of Revelation, seeing a new heaven and a new earth, and the that's holy a, city that's a, that's coming a key down phrase there. That's a key yeah, phrase. Yeah, so say more about that. I mean, he, sees, he doesn't see a better heaven and a better earth. He sees a new heaven and a new earth, because the old is passing away. And so, and this is a very important thing, too, is remember that this is, um, uh, it's, it's coming to us. And uh, it's coming to us. And uh, it's very important why the sea was no more. The sea was no more because the sea embodies that of like chaos. And so basically what uh, John is seeing here in this passage of Revelation is a world full of peace and uh, a world, uh, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the unification of, um, of Christ with his church and everybody. And, uh, and where is God going to dwell? It's not about us going somewhere. And this is the interesting thing, too. Like, you know, in the midst of death, we talk about things like passed away or people just being passed. And, um, you know, the Christian word is died. And the idea here is, is that God is actually coming to us to raise us from the dead, not as better, but as brand new, and to dwell right in our very midst. So this is a very hopeful passage as well, where, and as he dwells in our midst, um, he does things very specific. One, he wipes away every tear from our eyes, aka he makes everything right. Um, and then uh, death will be no more, this very thing that we fear. Uh, no longer exists. It's going to be not even a memory. It just doesn't even, it's, it no longer exists. 
And even the same with uh, the things that lead to death, which is mourning and crying. Those two things will be gone as well. Um, for the first things have passed away. The new thing that God is doing is going to finally inbreak. And I think, you know, there's a temptation that all people have. And to me, it really saddens me when I see it among Christians. Because it's, I think, the antithesis emotionally of this passage, where people want to go back to a time when things were good. People want to move backwards. People, whether it's nationally, you want to go back to a time that exists in your brain to when things were good, or whether in your life, you sort of, a lot of people when they retire, they move back to the town where they went to college because they want to go back to a time that they feel like they were happy. Um, Kind of this moving back and... um, I mean, there, there may be reasons for that, and I don't mean to shame anyone who is, who is currently living in Charlottesville, David Zoll, or whatever <laughs> the case may be, but... Um, I'll probably have to move back to my parents just because I won't be able to afford to live in Manhattan. I'll be like 72. Yuma, Arizona, here I yeah, come. Mom, we're coming back. <laughs> She's like, it's about so, time. Thank, thank so, God for church housing. Yeah. So, um, but... Um, that what the Christian hope is, is not moving back to, you know, when things were good, but it is, it is actually the destruction of the current heaven and earth and moving to a new heaven and earth. The first things pass away. And, and Jesus Christ says, I am making all things new. Because if you go back, what you find is you actually weren't happy back then. You just forgot the ways you were sad and stressed <laughs> right. and frustrated. And um, it's amazing how we can rose tint memories and situations. And yeah, exactly. Mm. So Jesus makes all things new. And that's, I think, the key here. Um, The thing that's interesting about the pandemic and this whole emotional experience is that it is more normal in human history to be living in times like we're living now than whatever it was before. The, the aberration is sort of like the peaceful, quote-unquote, normal times, uh, which are still plenty difficult for lots of people. The thing that is more normal is tears, uh, mourning, crying, pain. And, and so, and any part of this first creation, at any point in the history, where, the, where you go back to 1983, 1953, 1893, whatever, 1203, wherever you want to go, like it's all part of the first creation where there's mourning and crying and pain and death and tears. And so the whole thing is make all things new where those things no longer even exist. And that's, that's, I mean, golly, hang your head on that because that's what I need to hear. Amen. Yeah. So now Uh, we come to this really beautiful pastoral mm. encounter between Jesus and Mary, uh, whose brother Lazarus has died. this is John chapter 11, verses 32 through 44. And... Martha and Mary, these two sisters who were very close to Jesus, um, and their brother Lazarus also. There's some people that believe that maybe they financially supported Jesus' ministry. They're clearly close friends and very much on team Jesus. And they, Lazarus gets sick. They invite Jesus to come heal Lazarus. Jesus delays to heal somebody. Very bad boundaries, the Lord. Um, and uh, he just decides to stop and do whatever and heal people, even though he's got a prior commitment. And so, he's, he's gone for four days. He doesn't get there. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. And if, so, if you want to talk to your congregation who might feel like they've been let down by God, who they made their request clearly known by God and his timing sucks mm-hmm. um, and they're sort of mad and you have Mary and Martha kind of like 
passive aggressive, like guilt tripping Jesus about his delay and all that sort of stuff. So it's very honest and very real. Ooh, that's but Waco. you also get this. <laughs> there, yeah, now you hear some <laughs> Waco noise. It's not just Manhattan. That's some sirens. All right, Lord, we pray for whoever is involved in whatever's going on. Um, the uh, the the thing here, one of there's many powerful things about this passage. But Jesus sees Mary weeping. Uh, and those with her weeping, and it says he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. It's just, I mean, to his core. And it, um, our our um, our protege, our Padawan, uh, shall we say, R.J. Heyman down there in uh, West Palm mm-hmm. Beach, Florida, rector of uh, Holy Trinity down there. No, he's not our Padawan. We we learned from him. But R.J. just preached a sermon last Sunday. When I, so this would have been Sunday, the seventeenth, I guess, of October. Uh, where he talked about this uh, podcast episode from Heavyweight, Jonathan Goldstein's podcast, where Jonathan Goldstein, and it's a lot of names, listeners, just hang with me. Goldstein interviews John Green, the author of Fault in Our Stars and famous podcaster and YouTube star. John Green, when he was uh, just out of college, was a chaplain at a hospital because he thought he wanted to go into ministry, and he did a summer chaplaincy. It was so horrific that he decided not to go into ministry and um, caused a major crisis of faith. And he, one of the most awful parts of it was seeing a three-year-old boy brought in with really horrible burns after being caught in a brush fire. Uh, and I won't say any more. Go listen to the podcast. It's a recent episode of Heavyweight, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and uh, But what, what John Green describes in that moment is just being completely just destroyed, shredded as a person in terms of um, seeing such horrific suffering. And this is Jesus's attitude, I mean, obviously, even more so. When the Son of God is greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved, you know that he's really feeling something. Um, And he's just, he's seeing death, which was not part of the plan. Uh, He's seeing pain and grief. And this is the heart of God. Yeah, this and this is what the heart of God is when he, when God looks at the world is um, he's just heartbroken, heartsick, um, and it's just so amazing. This is where you get at least in the King James, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, or as it has in the NRSV, Jesus began to weep. So God cries, and th- there's there's a there's a there's a deeply beautiful irony in before we see God wiping away tears from every eye in the Isaiah passage and the Revelation passage, but here God cries. So it's not that God is up there just looking down and here's a tissue. I want everybody to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. God comes down and he weeps right next to us Mm -hmm. and not fake weeping and not just, you know, he's not a paid mourner. He's actually just heartbroken here. And there's something uniquely Christian about that understanding of God. Uh, and and he doesn't get mad at Mary and Martha for their sort of like passive aggressive. Well, I do uh, think. I mean, I do think that that's like an interesting uh, thing to think about and talk about as well. Is that you know? So Jesus is delayed, and you can hear in the voice of Mary right here, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like you said, why didn't you put up? Why weren't we a priority? And mm-hmm. how many times have we felt like? Um, you know, God missed us or God forgot about us. You know, that's that's a real, you know, it's so interesting how we, we can trust God with like our colds. We can trust God with math tests. You know what I mean? But can we uh, trust God with death? You know, can we trust God with like the real thing? 
you know, mm. and it's like so much when death actually occurs, how even as Christians, we get so upset as if this is all there is, you mm. know, and this is a real powerful, powerful moment where, I mean, Jesus should, like, trust me, trust Lazarus, uh, trust me with Lazarus's death, and so, this is a powerful thing, and this moves us into the second paragraph, the second section here, where Jesus, and it says, I love how John highlights that, greatly disturbed, because... Again, greatly disturbed, yeah. This is not the way things are supposed to be. We were never supposed to die. You know, this isn't how it is, and he comes to the cave. And I love this. He says, uh, because they know what dead people are. You know, I love these people. They're just uh, today, you know, and they're like, well, they didn't really understand, you know, psychology. They didn't really understand this or that. They all understood death. And, uh, you know, and uh, here he is. And this is actually one of the last of the miracles of John's gospel. This is the last miracle of John's gospel that points to the resurrection. And I love what he says, and this is basically can be summarized. Will you trust me with Lazarus's death? Is there faith in this room? And absolutely there is. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Um, and uh, the truth is, is that you and I, death will not even prevent us also uh, from seeing the glory of God. Uh, you and I will see it, um, and uh, we have seen it. It looks like a cross on this side of eternity, but someday we will see death defeated uh, once and for all. Yeah, and I think there's something that's, that's so good, and there's something here too about the power of Jesus in situations not where there's just like a tiny shred of hope, you know, yeah. 99% despair, there's 1% hope. There's zero hope. <laughs> and that's the key thing of him being dead four days. Like, there's nobody that can argue he's been, he fainted. Like, he's wrapped in the burial cloth. He's in the tomb. Decomposition has set in. Like, it is, it, this is not a swooning at all. And it's also a statement about, I mean, to some extent, Jesus's complete faithfulness over and against our faithlessness. So, Jesus has to take away the stone and Martha, who said, you know, Martha's like, no, he's he's been dead for four, like, there's nothing you can do at this point. Um, and uh, and Mary her, herself, you know, if you had been here, my brother would not have, like, Jesus's power lasted as long as the person was still alive, sick, <laughs> but still alive. And that's how we think and, too. Yeah, and it's like, you know, Jesus saved my marriage, saved my marriage, saved my marriage, and then you find yourself divorced, and like, well, he didn't save my marriage. It's like, no, this is where he begins to get to work. Not that he doesn't <laughs> save marriages or can't save marriage. That's not what I'm saying. Absolutely what right. I'm saying is, if you're in the point where the thing you were praying for, there's now no more hope, this does not mean God has abandoned you. There's actually, this is where Jesus really is his specialty. That's um, right. He gets to work. Um, it's not Miracle Max in The Princess Bride, where the <laughs> Dread Pirate Roberts is mostly dead. Um, yeah, this he's is all stench. dead here. This is stench in the yeah. tomb. And I don't know if yeah. you've ever smelled a dead body, but it's not, uh, it is a terrible, terrible smell. Um, and uh, I love this. It says, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And mm. I've heard uh, from a number of great preachers that have said, he specifically said, Lazarus, come out. Because had he just said, come out, all of the bodies in that tomb would have made their <laughs> yeah. way out. And so, That's right. Uh, because he That's is, right. he's not um, resurrection and life. He is the resurrection 
and life. Mm. And, uh, right. and so, um, and Lazarus comes right out. And there's this powerful thing now that, that kind of, um, I think is kind of beautiful and an inspiration to each and every one of us as preachers, um, you know. But Lazarus, the dead man, came out and his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped with cloth. And like, that is uh, what, how people are, um, that's how people are entering into your congregation as well. You know, um, every week they leave your church and they just get bound with the uh, strips of cloth of death. Their face gets wrapped with guilt, shame, like you were talking about earlier. There's some mm. sort of thing that's like really pricking their conscience. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And really, preacher, that's uh, that's that's our task this Sunday. We've got people who've walked out of their tombs and have walked into our church, and uh, with the words and the power of the gospel, uh, we unbind them and we let them go. You know, and this is why we believe in the bound will. If you believe that people are just basically free and not constrained by death, then your whole ministry is about binding people up. But if you realize they've come in and they're totally bound by their own stupid decisions, the foolishness of their heart, uh, the, the weight and the fear and the guilt and the shame that come with the world, then your preaching can be really purely about grace. And in those words of grace, you unbind people and uh, you let them go. Beautiful. Well, I think that'll do us for All Saints Sunday, November 7th. And um, I'll say just two final kind of programming notes as we finish up here. As we enter the last two months of the year, Mockingbird, like any ministry and nonprofit, would love your support if you're the kind of person that gives to support things at the end of the year. Uh, so just go to ember.com where it's really easy to uh, give a gift to Mockingbird. Uh, finally, as we end this, uh, as we come to the end of the church year, as we end the season of Pentecost, as we get to Christ the King Sunday, which is the last you know, November, that's the end of the church year, which means that Jake and I have taken you through three full years of the Same Old Song podcast, uh, lectionary uh, track A, B, and C. Um, and so we are uh, open to you, listeners, um, if you're new to the podcast, um, are you someone who would like to hear these continue as we go through the cycle again? Are you someone who would like to hear us, you know, maybe talk about the nuts and bolts of preaching? Are you folks that would uh, be happy if we just took when we went through year A last time and just republish all those as episodes on Same Old Song with their now dated cultural references? Um, we would just be open to you, so you can write info at ember.com and, uh, or, or Jake at I love Aaron.com and uh, let us know your thoughts. Jake, anything you want to add to that? No, I think this is really just a very subtle way of we're looking for a little affirmation. So, uh, like on Well, who isn't? <laughs> who but isn't? No, uh, absolutely. And so, we just want to uh, hear what you're thinking. And so, and um, uh, we love your suggestions and we are grateful for you, uh, all you listeners. So, uh, wherever you're at, near or far. Uh, so, yep. but until then, uh, uh, as those folks come out of their tomb into your church, unbind them and let them go. We love you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Ember.com slash support. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, 
Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.